series called Rooms. And, and in, in this idea of room, we're, we're talking about like a house, how you have different spaces for different things. The first week we talked about Sabbath, and uh, ironically, that week three of you called me and said you had to cancel your meeting with me <laughs> to rest. So I don't know if that was good preaching or good excuses, but uh, last week, if you weren't here, it was a powerful time looking at doubt and how there needs to be room in our life for doubt. And Pastor Jamel walked us through that. I'll go on our, on our app or on iTunes to listen to that if you weren't here or re-listen to it. It was a powerful word and reminder that God meets us in that. And this week, we are talking about emotion and making room for emotion for things like anger and all of its heavy friends. And uh, I think I'm talking about emotion because I, I have them all. And um, reality is, as Christians, if you are somebody who, who defines yourself by Jesus, we don't do real well with emotion. We don't. We do well with a few things. This is not one of them. Um, we're okay with a few emotions, but we're not really okay with others. And we don't know what faith looks like in moments like when we no longer want the pain that we have. What does faith look like there? What does faith look like when you only feel anger? What's it look like? What does faith look like when we don't know how to grieve? And this is... This is what we're going to talk about this morning. So some of you like need to breathe deep a little bit. Bathroom code is 3623 if you're looking to hide. Please don't. So this week, I knew we were talking about uh, emotions. I knew we were talking about anger and grief and sadness and these heavy things that we don't necessarily love. And this week, our world lost young Jordan Edwards. Right? 
and I felt 10 different things. And I know I'm not the only one. And, and we see the news come out. We hear the story. We see all this stuff. And I was surprised. One of the emotions that I could name in me is that I felt ashamed that I'm late to the party. Real honest. I, I've lived in majority skin my whole life. And I've grieved alongside and learned from a lot of you this last year, two years, three years. But I'm late to this party. And this pain is still new for me. And I have some friends who are like, well, I know this story. Jordan Edwards is distinct and important. But I, I, there's been other people who this is their story. There's tons of emotion with this. I was at the bank with my son Carter and... We're opening up his account. We're all excited for he got a job and all this stuff. And then the news flashes in the bank about Alton Sterling and the, and, and the results of, of that investigation. And a whole other flood of emotions hit. And this week at Ballard High School where my son goes to school, I want to have a moment of silence for their friend who died. The administration wouldn't they didn't approve of some of his morality. This young man was made in the image of my father. And whatever he did in his days and his nights, it didn't change the fact that he was made in the image of our God. And I promised my son, like, we will, we will pause. We will be a place that grieves for those who are lost, however they're lost. We will be a place that mourns with those who are mourning, rejoices with those who are rejoicing. But that means we need to know how to rejoice and know how to mourn. And I don't know that that's us yet, right? No shame on that. We just need to learn. We're maturing in other ways. We need to learn to mature here too. And I realize there's all sorts of personal pain and anger that, that kicks up every time something happens, right? A national thing happens, and all of a sudden, I'm remembering something I forgot from like 15 years ago. I'm like, why does this happen? And, and this is not like, I am a, I'm a pastor. That's all I am. I love God's word and God's people. That's about all I got. I'm not a counselor. We need counselors. Some of y'all probably need to set up appointments with counselors. I've got a great one. I could refer you. I'm not pretending to be that, but still from a biblical perspective, we need to be dealing with emotions, and that's what we're doing this morning. Before we even dive into the text, we've got to unearth some things in us, okay? So we're going to do this together a little bit collectively. There's this verse we read a couple, a couple weeks ago, right? I think it was on Easter. We talked about this space of heaven being where, earth, where, where God resides and the space of earth where we reside and how they are to collide and how we are supposed to bring heaven to earth as, as like beings of God. So as we walk, we're bringing heaven in those spaces. And the places we do that, Jesus talks about like this one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do, do we, real honest in your heart, no guilt here, do you believe that? Because one of the big reasons that I don't mourn is I'm afraid I won't be comforted. Well. It's amazingly vulnerable to mourn and feel alone and exposed. But if God is really our comforter, then it's, it's safe, okay? So we're going to trust in this room, in this time, that he is our comforter. And I want to ask you, if you live with like a vice grip over your heart, 
begin to like barely open up just this morning, even in this time. If you live wide open, then live wide open. Wherever you are, like let's build some space for him. So there's this verse that we know. The joy of the Lord is, is my strength, right? It, he is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But I have spent my entire life misusing that verse. I thought that meant that I'm supposed to be joyful all the time. And like fake joyful. Because if you follow me around for like 12 seconds, you'll catch on. I'm not very joyful. In like, I'm not just a jovial person. Like that's not me. Like, I, I'm, I'm trying to learn that, but that, that's not me, and I don't want to put this fake thing on. If the joy of the Lord is our strength, then we can rest in the fact that he is our strength. We have strength, so we don't have to fake strength. Yeah. We have strength in him, and we will have joy because we belong in him. So let's sort the rest out, okay? Let's sort the rest out. So I'm going to show you this for a minute. Uh, uh, Kevin, I need your help. So if... If you ask Kevin who's strong, he's going to say Kevin. So we're going to use him. <laughs> he, he's, our, he's our little illustration this morning, okay? When we are young, we learn to process emotion. And because we're immature when we're young, because that's just the way we are, you don't, you're not born mature. Like when we are young in our emotion, we handle it in young ways, right? So we put on things like anger. This backpack is going to represent anger. Is that fair? Can we all picture that? You're going to put it on this way, though. Nope, this, this way. way. Yep. Okay. So we put on anger as a way of processing everything. Now, when you're angry, the real question is, what are you actually feeling? When you're expressing anger, what are you actually feeling? Like, what is something that can make you sad? This is where you guys t- step forward for a second. This is where you guys help me out. What is something that can make you feel sad? death. We know that we can't just walk around holding those. You can't function holding sadness like that, right? So we feel anger as a way of sorting out our sadness, right? Go ahead. You're really strong. (laughs) Process your sadness. What, What is something that makes us feel like, like pain? rejection. That's huge. So we do the same thing (laughs) with rejection. And we can't hold it and function living in rejection. We have to do something with it so we get angry, especially guys, right? We live at this like low boil, like the Hulk, (laughs) who says like, I'm just always angry. (laughs) What that is is I am just really emotionally immature, is what he's saying. That's Marvel's version. Go ahead. Process your anger. You're not done. You put that one in there, too. So what are some other things that, that just like are, are heavy, vulnerable things that we feel? Injustice. So we have to find other ways to process, right? Anger can't hold everything. So sometimes, some of us learn like ultra-spiritualism, right? Others of us learn to like medicate. Others of us learn to uh, just be distracted and busy. Whatever it is, this is that bag, okay? So like we have injustice that we need to deal with, and there's a lot of it, but we don't know how to deal with it 
So we just carry it around in our busyness or our distraction or whatever it is. And we just take all of this weight of our emotional world and we carry it around and call it other things. And then we skip around. That's your instruction to skip around and say the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we live like this, guys. We live just like this. But if the joy of the Lord is your strength, you can, like, sort this out. It's almost like this is gross. But, like, if if you vomit, you can look in the vomit, see what made you sick. That's what this is. So if we can trust him that he is our strength, we can sort this out. And there's a biblical thing that happens. No longer are you just carrying this weight. Instead, you go to the one who says, put my yoke upon you. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light, right? So how do we do that? Instead of carrying it around, we trust him and we name it all. And we do what's called an altar of remembrance for him. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the Old Testament where people make markers. And they say, I'm going to remember that time. I'm going to remember that time when I was alone and afraid. And I brought that to my Savior. And he, he showed up. We, we see this in scripture where people need to be protected. And God protects them. And they build this altar. And at the altar, when their kids pass that altar, they say, what is that pile of rocks? And they say, oh, no, son, that's not a pile of rocks. That's the space that my God met me when I needed my God. That's the space where he he dried up the river and our nation crossed. That's the space where my brother wanted to kill me because I was so unjust towards him. And yet God delivered me and brought healing relationally. That is the space. Thank you. You are so strong. So here's what we're going to do. I want to show you how to process from scripture, how to process some of this pain and what God does in that. But first we have to name it. Okay, so we're going to take a minute, and Scooby's going to come up and play. And this is like, it's going to be as meaningful as we make it, just being real honest with you. In this room, you have pain that you can name. And some of us have never named it, and some of us are so angry because of that pain that we name it all day, every day. You have people that you need to grieve. And part of grieving is trusting the one that you're handing it over to, right? Like, I I remember cherishing my dad so much. I couldn't trust God with my dad because I felt like I I don't know how you're, if you are going to handle him like I want to handle him and all this stuff. I had to learn to, like, hand over my dad, who had already died, hand him over to God and say, no, you you love him and you know what, you've got this. We need to grieve situations that we thought we knew the way life was to go, and life went this way. And we're not complaining, but it's not that way. And we need to grieve it and let go of that. We have pain. We have grief. We have sadness. We have all these things. Here's what I want to ask you to do. In the next couple minutes, you've got a note card and a pen. If you didn't get those when you walked in, go ahead and wave your hand in the air. Someone will bring them to you. I want you to write out your pain. Write out 
who or what you are grieving. Write out what makes you sad, what these vulnerable things, what makes you angry. Write those out and then place them here. This is literally, this is going to begin to become our altar of remembrance. And just so you know, like this is like public. Um, like what you're writing, we will, we're not going to share your handwriting, but we're going to use this to make an altar of remembrance, okay? So I just feel like I have to tell you that. Um, but take the next couple minutes. If you have 40 things to write down, write down 40 things. If you have one, write one. Does this make sense? Let me pray over this as we do it. Spirit, we trust you to move. Open up our hearts to surrender things to you. This weight is too much to bear. And we don't want to live angry. We don't want to live hurt. We don't want to live sad. We don't want to live in grief forever. But we'll live here as long as you need us to. Right now we surrender these things. Give us insight and wisdom into what it is that we need to surrender. Thank you. Amen. Once you've written whatever you need to write, go ahead and set it right in this basket, okay? The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was brought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ The altar Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Are you hurting and broken and overwhelmed by the weight of sin? Jesus is calling. Have come to the end of self. Do you thirst from drink from well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So we're going to spend a few minutes in the Gospels, okay? And as we do this, if anything else comes to your mind or to your heart, um, bring it forward again. Like this is, this is worship. The message is part of worship. Um, so go ahead and, and bring forward anything that you have. Uh, if, if more things come to mind, please bring it forward. So here's, here's something that hit me this week when I knew we were doing this. We just asked an entire room to like open up to anger, pain, grief, and sadness, right? That's not necessarily this, that, that can feel kind of like, oh boy. 
What do we do with this? But what we do with this is like we surrender this to Jesus. And you would only surrender to Jesus if he's somebody who can handle it. That's right. right? He's only, we would only surrender it to him if, if, he, if he could handle. Go ahead and, and bring more up. We're, we're physically building an altar of remembrance for us. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in, in probably my favorite passage uh, of all of, of scripture. And here's, here's what's happened so far. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass it. Uh, publicly, setting in here, we're naming our pain, right? We're, we're carrying these things to him, that anger, like we're, we're trying to learn to surrender this to him, this pain, this sadness, whatever it is, we're trying to hand these things over to Jesus and, and learn how. And, um, this is a big deal. Now, what, what do we see in Scripture as this happens? Last week, if you were here, we talked about John the Baptist being in prison, right? He was in prison because he, he called the king on his stuff, didn't like that. And ultimately, what happens next is the queen literally has his head. The queen's mad at him for causing all these problems, and, and she calls for his head and John the Baptist loses, he, he loses his life. John the Baptist is not some random person in the Gospels. John the Baptist is cousins. He's kin to Jesus. And so in Mark 6, go ahead and open to Mark 6. In this chapter alone, now remember, like sometimes we read the Bible and we forget that they're real people, right? Right? In this chapter alone, we don't know exactly how many days, but we see that Jesus is completely rejected in his hometown. Completely rejected. Then after he's completely rejected, his cousin loses his life. Not of natural causes, but of beheading. Then he tries to take his, his disciples aside and, and minister to them. and it, That is the most rewarding slash exhausting thing you can ever do. And he goes and, and spends time just showing people who Jesus is, gets out of the boat, and he sees thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children gathered together, and he looks on them with compassion, and, and he, he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so his heart is broken for these thousands of people. His heart is broken for his cousin. His heart is broken because his very people have rejected him. And what does he do? This is important for us. If you are processing these emotions that we don't like to, what does he do? Immediately, he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. Well, he dismissed the crowd. And after he went, he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When we are in this moment of feeling what we don't like to feel, it is time for us to go withdraw and go speak to our Father. That's what we do. If you are feeling emotions you can't sort out and you're, and you're looking for like, 
ways that you have medicated before or cheap fixes like anger or things like that that you, you know that you will end up carrying this forever or until you let go, then it is time to withdraw and go pray and talk to your father. Jesus is our example here. But I also know that we quickly say, well, Jesus is God. He's totally different. We quickly like give him a pass. So I want to ask you to relate to the disciples in this one, okay? Because I think we'll find ourselves in this, the very next verse in, in verse 47 here. You see, when evening came, the boat was out at sea and he was all alone on the land. So the disciples, they, they, they've gone through all this, right? Everything Jesus went through. They're not cousins to John the Baptist, but they know John the Baptist. This is some of their hometown, too, that they're rejected at. Every time Jesus is called foolish, they're called foolish because they're following him. Maybe they're even worse, you know, because they're following the one that people think is, like, evil. They see these thousands upon thousands of people, and they don't even have compassion. They probably have anger, resentment. They want to move on. So they've got all these, like, messy emotions on top of it. And then Jesus says, go Go to the other side of the lake, and they are his disciples. They are trying to please him. They are trying to do exactly what he asks them to do. And so with the best of their ability, they are paddling to the other side of the lake. Remember, they don't have like these big multi-horsepower motors or anything. This is all like Peter-powered. And they're just like going across the lake, trying to do their best. Let me tell you, this week as I have prayed for us, this is our church. This is where we are. We've had a season that has worn us out. And I have watched you guys with the most beautiful faith I have ever seen in a church that I have been a part of. But I know that emotionally, we're stretched thin. And energy-wise, we are stretched thin. But where Jesus is calling us to go, we are trying to go with everything that we have. He looks on that like... I can't tell you how beautiful that is. I can't tell you how much that means to me to see our church doing this. But I recognize we're tired. And I recognize emotionally like we're, we're kind of a mess. Not because we're horrible, but just we're running. And we are paddling the best we can because Jesus said, go there. And so we are trying to go there. But as we go there, if we lose sight, like we, we can miss a lot. And so look at, look at what happens next. Uh, they're out at sea, and Jesus, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Any of you feel like the wind is against you? Any of you? I know some of your stories. I, I, I follow you on Facebook. The wind is against you. Some, sometimes I invent that the wind is against me. A lot of times it just actually is. And Jesus is up on the mountain praying. And again, I, I know some of you, this is my favorite passage. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. If I'm up on the mountain praying and I sent you guys, I love you as my church, but if I sent you that way, I'm going to go to that side of the mountain so I can't see you. I want to be far away from you. I want to be by myself. Jesus is on the mountain praying, but he's facing his people. And he's on the mountain praying and he looks out and he sees them struggling because the wind is against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. If you are paddling against wind, if you are trying to do everything that you can 
for God and you have all these emotions and all this exhaustion and all of that and you wonder where he is because the waves are against you and the wind is against you, I want you to know that he sees you and he is coming to you. He has come to you. Now I remember talking to this about this verse with a small group of people and this young woman in the group read this and she said, yeah, but Jesus meant to pass by them. He's mean. And she was dead serious. You know why she said he was mean? Because she was carrying around a backpack of pain. And she had a side bag of hurt and sadness and disappointment and all of this. And it was weighing her down. And all she could see is no good God would ask me to carry all of this. And then he tells me to go that way. And he just walks on the water and passes me by. That's rude. But think about it. If it's Jesus, he could like teleport if he wanted, right? If he didn't want to be seen, he wouldn't be seen. So pass them by must mean something else. In English, it means like I'm going to sneak past you. I believe as comforter and provider, he could also be the sneakiest if he wanted to be. So it must mean something else. Let's go back to Exodus 33, right? So there's this guy named Moses. There's this guy named Moses. It, Moses says, please show me your glory. God says, I'll show you what you want to see. I'll give you what you want. He says, show me your glory. And then this, we need to know this when we look at Mark 6. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live, the Lord said. Then he says this, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not be seen. He is so full of glory that in his goodness, he says, I'm going to shove you back in that pocket. I'm going to put my hand over you, and I'm going to pass by you, because then you will see what you can handle of me. Then you will see my glory. This is the best God can give. You've got a glimpse of who I am, Moses. You've got such a glimpse that your face is shiny to everybody else. But I'm going to give you more. I'm going to pass you by because I want to reveal who I am. And so you, young church, you who are paddling with all your might trying to please the Lord, you who have deep pain because life has hit you. I'm not saying that that pain shouldn't be there. You who are grieving because you should be grieving. You who are sad because sad things are around you. Because in this world there are troubles. You who are working hard for the kingdom of God to see the kingdom collide with this earth. As you are paddling against the wind and the waves, Jesus sees you. Jesus comes to you. And his intent is to pass you by. Meaning his intent is to reveal more of who he is than you already know. His intent is for you to see him as who he is. When you read Mark 6, this is like the transfiguration. They look at Jesus, and they're not like, who's that weird guy walking on the water? They're like, that's a ghost. That's somebody who looks completely other. That is the glory of God revealed on the one that we follow. They would know Jesus. They, like, hang out with him all the time, right? Like, if Jamel just came walking by, we'd be like, whoa, that's Jamel. Why is he on water, right? 
But he looks different. Why? Because his intent is to pass them by, to reveal his glory, his character, his majesty. They have seen him fully human. And he's like, let me show you some of my divine. Because you are in pain and you're weary and you are my faithful people. Let me meet you where you are and let me be exactly what you need of me. That is our Jesus. And so you're naming your pain. You're naming what you grieve, what, you, what you're sad about. You're naming all of this, right? And we're like, Lord, we want to trust you. and We don't even know how. We want to process this. We want to unpack our anger. We want to do all this. And we don't know how. I'll tell you what he says. He sees you, church. He sees you. And he is here. He has come to us. And his intent is not to come to shame us or give us more sadness or grief or correct us and say, well, you're not quite doing that right. No, his intent is to reveal who he is. Church, he wants to pass you by, not because he's mean, but because he is Jesus, the real provider, the real comforter, the real one who gives grace and is so patient to us. And then it's interesting, I think. It says, when they saw him, they were terrified, but immediately he spoke and said, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. When I'm carrying a backpack of anger, all I want is the wind to cease. When I'm carrying around the ways that I medicate or that I'm hyper, fake, extra biblical, spiritual, all I want is the wind to cease. I just want it over. But when I'm open, when I'm vulnerable about the pain that I'm feeling, when I see my son hurting as bad as he's hurting, you know what I want? All I want is the Lord to pass me by. I can take the wind for another two minutes. Just meet me in it. The wind's not going to kill me. But, but this unprocessed pain, this, this need for mercy and for one to deliver that, that, that's what I need. That's what we need, guys. And that's what we have in Jesus. He's the one who passes us by. So there's a psalm that I love. Uh, there's a lot of psalms to love, right? But my favorite one is, is Psalm 13. And in Psalm 13, we see, we see some desperate emotion in David. We see him saying things like, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must my... Uh, I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He has got backpacks of pain that he is trying to lay before God. And if you know David, he never does it really well. He's messy and sloppy, and he's a man after God's own heart. And he's just dumping his stuff. How long? Why are you mean to me? All this stuff. He is dumping before God. And then he says some words. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. And then he says this. And if 
If this is you, where you're processing some of this stuff and you're trying to get these emotions out, I believe the biblical way is like name our pain, lay it before God, and then make an altar saying, that is the place that God met me. And as we name it, then we place faith in what we already know that God has done. I have pain here, but I remember that he has been faithful here. And you don't lose sight of that. That's what we see in David here. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. And my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's safe to pour all this out. Because he can handle it. And all this pain and all this grief and all this sadness and all that we feel, he is bigger than. And just because we feel that doesn't mean what he has already done is not true. That is like the anchor that we are anchored to. I'm anchored to the fact that, that God has been faithful time and time again. And I've got altar of remembrance after altar of remembrance. I've got signposts and houses and places around, honestly, around the country that I can remember and say, that is the space where my God met me. And there's nothing, there's no amount of pain today that can take away the fact that he met me there. That he healed there that he passed me by and so this morning in very real ways we're gonna continue to worship with with worship with music and we're gonna worship with with communion to remember that this this Jesus who passed us by is the Jesus who invites us to take the bread and take the cup and remember that he gave his life so that we could be whole, so that we could, we could trust him with all of our lives. And we can watch him heal in dramatic and powerful ways. And as that happens, Chris has been drawing up, and he's not done yet, he's got another board he's working on. But he's drawing up our altar of remembrance. And we're going to place that, we have two more weeks in this series, we're going to place that at our communion table. Remember, this is what we are trusting him with. We come in, I know that you have pain. The joy of the Lord is actually your strength, so don't fake it. Come to him with your pain. I know that you have grief. The joy of the Lord is your strength, so don't, don't fake that you don't. He's big enough to handle that. Know that you have sadness. He's your strength. He's your comfort. So come to him. Know that you're tired. And if you're tired, then trust that though the waves are against you, the God who created this whole thing is for you. Yes. And if he's for you, who really cares who's against you? Right? If everything else is against you, but he's for you, you win. He's like the trump card in this whole thing. That doesn't take away the pain, but it makes it safe to feel it. And it makes it safe to bring it to the surface and not carry it as you go place to place, day through day, because really it belongs at the feet of him. That makes some sense. So let me pray over us. And, and I, we did the service a little bit. We got, we'll do offering and all that in a minute. We're, we're just, we're good, right? But let's take a minute.
Like, don't, if you want to run to the table, you can run to the table. But you don't have to. Like, take a minute. Process this. Lay some stuff out. We've, we've got some counselors who are going to be right by the doors and by the stage. They want to pray with you. If you need somebody to say, hey, this is what I can't let go of, like, say it. And let somebody pray for strength for you. If you need to experience Jesus in a real way, then, then say it. And let's be bold enough to ask him to be here. We can't be shocked if we don't experience him, if we never ask him if we can experience him. So if that's what we need, let's ask. He says he'll meet us in that. There's some of us who have never met Jesus. We know facts about him, but we don't, we don't know what it's like to put our faith in you. If that's you, I'd run to the counselors. They'd love to walk you through that. Our God is faithful. He's good. His shoulders are broad. He can take all our pain. So counselors, if you'll, if you'll take your places, I want to pray for all of us and for this, this time of worship. Jesus, thanks for who you are. Thanks that you meet us here. Thanks that you're big enough that you're strong enough but in this space will you make this space safe where before you we can acknowledge where we are where where life doesn't make sense where we are not seeing heaven collide with earth yet and will you give us the courage to let go and let you handle it. You're much better at it than I am. And would you meet us with your mercy? Would you meet us with your grace? Would you meet us with your real joy? Would, would you pass us by in this moment? Thank you for your beautiful church. May you be honored by us as we learn to love you.